One of the things that I cannot take my eyes away from, which I think is probably our goal when we get on stage or on screen somewhere, is to become the person that the audience can't stop staring at, listening to, like can't take their eyes away. And one of the things that I'm really drawn to are people who seem like they're just so damn themselves in front of other people. I think that's like a gift, not only to ourselves, but to other people. That's what the mic drop moment is all about, is saying your truth while also spreading some truth to the people in the audience. It's how mic drop moments happen. People are standing up in their truth or, or on camera or wherever the case is and saying something that like is true and the audience feels it as well. It's not about like a zinger or like, whoa, I just told a great joke. It's about like some deep truth telling. And some of that is about who we are. So much of our, our message is not just the the words that we put into place or the perfect slide. Actually, most of our message is not that. In fact, our voice, an upcoming episode, I'm going to explore this. Our voice isn't even the words we say. We often say, I need to find my voice, meaning I need to find the words to say. But the reality is your voice, as I'm learning from my infant daughter, is actually the sound you make, the feelings you make. We're going to explore that on another episode. On this episode, I am talking to my good friend, one of my best friends. I feel like I say my good friend, but this is one of my closest friends, Erin King. She's the author of the brand new book, You're Kind of a Big Deal, Level Up by Unlocking Your Audacity. And you better know that I've been reading this one to my uh, <laughs> to my little daughter, Viviana, because I think, uh, I think she's a big deal. And I think you're a big deal. And I think we're all a big deal. And so does Erin King, by the way. She's a best-selling author, a three-time entrepreneur, CEO of the Socialite Agency, and she's helped clients. I mean, this alone is just so cool. Like the Academy Awards to the United States Navy, uh, the Pentagon. She's been teaching them her pub method. It's an award-winning way to think about digital persuasion, which is also the name of her first book, Digital Persuasion. And her new book, Your Kind of a Big Deal, is out everywhere. You should go grab copies. This new book, Your Kind of a Big Deal, Level Up by Unlock. Locking Your Audacity is a really great summer read, actually. So it's great that it's coming out at the kickoff of summer because you feel like you're on this journey with your best friend. Erin has a way of kind of making everyone feel like they're her best friend. You feel like you're on a journey with them, but also like there's just all this like great personal development, self-help, go get some stuff done. And not in like a hokey way. I mean, the titles of the chapters are funny, right? Tell you what you want, what you really, really want. Face your fake news fears. Ghost your inner good girl. Become a bad listener. Feel jealous to find genius. Uh, these are all the kinds of the names of these chapters. I got to read an early edition uh, way back when she was first creating it, and it is a great book. But on this episode of the show, we are talking about being yourself on stage, about being a big deal in front of other people, and how Aaron found that through speaking and storytelling. Uh, and I think you're gonna you're gonna find some really great gems here to uh, to go out and shine as a big deal yourself. So let's get into it. So you have a story to tell, and you wonder how to own the stage and give that killer speech that will captivate the masses. You don't just want to speak to them. You want to transform your audience. Welcome to the Mic Drop Moment. Bold conversations about public speaking, storytelling, and business that give you real-world valuable takeaways so you can craft a speech, a story, a business, and a life that the world can't stop talking about. It's time to find your mic drop moment. Here is your host, Mike Ganino. The first thing I have to ask you about 
for anybody who listens to the show who's like, okay, this is the show about, you know, getting on stage and having your mic drop moment and saying the thing you want to say. My first question to you, Aaron King, is how did you get the audacity to be a woman, a, a beautiful woman who does the makeup, the glam, the everything on stage, who stands on stage? Where does this audacity come from to stand on stage and show not only a picture of you doing like Irish river dancing, but also a picture of you in a mullet? Like, where does it come from that you think, you know what? Because I, I, I think a lot of people are scared to show those truthful parts of them. And and I think for you, it's one of the reasons that audiences, huge audiences, love you and are obsessed with you. So where did that come from that you said, you know what, I'm just going to stick a picture of me in a mullet up here because I don't know a lot of people who'd be brave enough. <laughs> well, just to be clear, I just want to clarify, it's actually a permullet, which is different <laughs> than a regular mullet. The permullet is the combination of both perm and mullet. <laughs> kind of coming together. So it's just, I don't mean to, you know, brag, but it's even better than a mullet. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that when you are, when you're on stage and you're meeting a room full of people for the first time, think of how you feel when you walk into the old days to a dinner party or a cocktail hour. It can be a little bit scary to to say, hey, this is who I am. Nice to meet you. Knowing that everyone is kind of judging you and, and kind of trying to figure out who you are as fast as possible using clues about how you look and how you sound that maybe even had nothing to do with who you are, but it's just how we evaluate each other, right? As humans. And so I think stepping on stage is, is the awkward cocktail party sweat times 800,000, as you know, Mike. And so <laughs> one of the things that you've taught me in working with you um, over the years is just how important it is to find common ground whether you're presenting on stage or you're in a cocktail party or you're on the internet, I mean, people are going to gravitate towards you if they feel like they've been there. And there is nothing that we've all been able to connect uh, to more than a horrendous haircut. So that's kind of where it stemmed from. <laughs> and I love, I love that, that the per mullet, which I think is probably worse than a mullet, right? It's like, it's, it's the apex of a mullet shaping. <laughs> Absolutely. I think so. So the, Absolutely. I love that not only does it get weaved in there, but you use it also, you bring in uh, talking about your mom and talking about kind of setting your mom on, on, um, on FaceTime and just kind of setting her down next to you while you're doing a million things. And you make this joke about like, she deserved it because of that haircut. Like this is, I don't feel any guilt at all. And I think that it's a really interesting thing that you do that throughout your, your keynote, you weave in these things about your life, things like that, that people can relate to that someone in the audience is like, Oh my gosh, I have that mother. I have that mother-in-law. I have that best friend. I mean, I know that I have a friend who like, I will only call her when I'm driving because then I can just put the phone in the cradle in the car and just drive through the LA traffic and she'll just talk the whole time. And it's like, she just needs to talk for an hour yes. and she doesn't care as long as every once in a while I say, oh, mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> and there's something so relatable about that. And yet you're not a fluff speaker. You're not someone who's going to conferences and just talking about like, you know, your life and like, what's up? Like all of this is related to business. So what, how did that come about where you said, actually, there are these places where the things that I've the things in my life, like this, this story of the mullet or the story of the river dancing, these things are relatable to this topic for this audience. And, and I can make sense of that. How did you kind of like uh, weave that together that that made sense? 
Well, one of the things, again, not to be, um, you know, um, making you think that you're even cooler than you already are, Mike, but I have learned so much from you and your storytelling prowess. And one of the things you taught me when we had that first afternoon together um, here in Newport, where we first fell in love, you taught me that all the stories that we have in our lives, whether it's bad haircuts or super random hobbies like hopping around like a loony little leprechaun for most of our childhood, which resulted in massive calves that do not do well with a lot of the styles of shoes and footwear these days. Um, but you taught me that in each of those stories, there can be multiple takeaway proverbs. There can be multiple ways to land that plane in a way that not only the audience sees themselves, but that they're able to walk away and say, all right, yeah, I get that. Like for my Irish dancing story, you know, I talk about how I went to the World Irish Dancing Championships. And when I went there, I came in dead last. So I'm the worst in the world for my category in that moment um, with Irish dancing and being 15 years old in the already very confidence boosting environment of a high school, an all girls high school. I literally came home like going from the highest high of representing the United States of America to being you know, in my mind, a loser. And all of a sudden, there was this really interesting dichotomy of you can be a big fish in a smaller pond, you can be the teeniest, saddest fish in a massive pond. But it was this really interesting world opening, literally, view that the world's such a big place and that it's an unwinnable game to always try to compete or be the best because it just goes on and on and on. There's always a bigger boat, there's always a better dancer, there's always one prettier, or richer, or skinnier, or smarter. Um, and so it was kind of this really weird. Um, understanding that I, I got. And so when I share that with the audience, we map it back to digital communication, which is a place where we are constantly comparing ourselves to everyone's highlight reel in our newsfeed and, and, and saying, oh, I am more successful than that person, but I'm chasing down this person or mm, that person's more you know, beautiful or funnier. But, you know, this person, we're always trying to find our pecking order and find our hierarchy. And, and I think that story of being the worst in the world at something, everyone can remember a time where they realize that that it's an unwinnable game. And so they can free themselves from the emotional anguish and mental torture that can come with unintentional social media scrolling. Yeah, there's 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 something about your not just your talk. I mean, it is really like for me. I talk about this this idea of somebody having a through line. And the through line isn't like the through line of this speech, the through line of this book, the through line of this movie. For for people like you and I, the through line is kind of like, what am I kind of always about? Like, mm -hmm. regardless of where you see me, if you see me on Clubhouse, which you, by the way, are like the star of Clubhouse, Oprah Winfrey doing your daily show over there with legions of fans following you. So everyone go check out Erin on Clubhouse if you want to see how to be dynamic on audio because she obviously she's dynamic on stage. She's booked so often, but also dynamic on audio, but also dynamic on Instagram, dynamic on the page. I got to read some little early snippets of your next book that's coming out. You're kind of a big deal, How to Level Up by Unlocking the Audacity, June 1st, everybody, by the way. I'll plug it. Aaron doesn't have to. There's something you. in your through line that is so clear in everything you do around that, that none of it feels manipulative. For example, I think there are people who would get on stages and they would tell the like heartbreak story in order to manipulate the audience. And it 
feels to me that your through line through everything, through your 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 book, Digital Persuasion, through your keynote, through is about finding these connection points and using your stories to do that instead of using them to manipulate the audience into buying the next thing. Does that feel right? Mm-hmm. And what you're bringing up, Mike, is so interesting. Speaking of Clubhouse, we had a really, really rich dialogue around this topic, and we coined it digital catfishing, which <laughs> is this phenomenon that I don't know if you've observed this in your own newsfeed, but there is this, there is this, uh, it, it became trendy. It became sort of a the popular thing for people to be crying on TikTok and being vulnerable and peeling back the layers to the point of TMI oversharing mayhem that we find ourselves in now, in my opinion. And so what's interesting is the whole conversation was like, what do you do if there are people in your life that you love offline and then you see them online? And what they're doing is it feels like engineered sympathy grabbing, or it feels like manufactured moments in order to manipulate or intentionally elicit some kind of emotional response. And and the conversation was fascinating, Mike, and I know you've seen this in your newsfeed. Um, and what we ultimately settled on was just that two things. One, audiences are so, well, we, we are the audience. We are all smarter than we look. I mean, we can smell fake a mile away. And so <laughs> however however tempting it can be, whether, so for us as speakers, Mike, you know, we all, I, for me, at least I've seen certain speakers on stage, you included, and I walk away and yes, I have the incredible talking points, but then there's a part of me who's like, gosh, if only I could be as polished as Mike, or if only I could be as, as witty as this person or as physical as that person, or, you know, you, you take these attributes that you admire and you start to think, what if I could channel them? Or, you know, we say we're being inspired by them, but really we're kind of, copying them, right? And and it's so funny because every single time that you try that, whether you're trying that at work or you're trying that on social media, you're trying to channel someone else or or manufacture a certain response or an emotional um, feedback loop from your audience, 10 out of 10 times, it falls flat because people can feel it's not coming from a place of being genuine and coming from a place of, of really the skill the fear that does transpire when you are actually being genuine. So the second thing we talked about was the fact that it does take a lot of guts and it does take audacity to show up as who you really are on a stage or on a page or on a podcast or in real life because the reason that we don't do it is because we fear people's reactions to us so deeply and for good reason. I mean, people, people on the internet are mean. Um <laughs> to your face and people in real life are mean behind your back. So either way, and there's a reason why we have that fear to show up being who we really are without trying to channel someone else or manufacture engineering emotions. So I think that advice, just be yourself is so, it's so lovely and warm and so hard to actually enact, especially when the world says be yourself verbally, but the nonverbal telegraph is, but fit in. Well, and so so here's this interesting thing that I'm thinking of as you say this is there's the um the vulnerability, right? The like faux vulnerability where it's like, yeah. oh, and and some of this started because the fame of of public speaking, and we were watching some of these these people who are out there doing it who, you know, are are doing it to sell something at the back of the room. And so they have to like engineer a very fast relationship that 
ends in someone giving money for something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and and the way to do that, the, the way to control things is with with these stories. And so I think a lot of people looked towards these people who I think are a few generations um past now as mm-hmm. public speakers. And and we're even seeing some of these people who have very big platforms, several New York Times bestselling books, who uh, whether they're going through very public divorces, whether they're going through very public, like everything you thought about them wasn't true because of their response to something like Black Lives Matter. There's, I think, a crumbling of that, the facade of like, oh, you could just cry on camera. You could mm-hmm. tell your vulnerability story about a time that someone stubbed your toe. And now <laughs> that's how you learn to become a multimillionaire. Yeah. And I feel like we're starting to read that more because we have more mm-hmm. examples of that. And there's there's something interesting. You were talking about authenticity and showing up as yourself. And one mm-hmm. of the things that I think is really beautiful about you, I've seen you, I've seen you on stage, I've seen you on on the page. I've seen you, I feel like I've Dr. Seuss in a box with a fox. Um, <laughs> you know, you're you're one of my really good friends. I've seen you on a boat. You know, I like one of the things I love about you is is that version of you that is online and that version of you that is is on stage is the same person who is messy bun in Catalina with your friends. Like you really do feel the same all the time. And I think the challenge for people on the be yourself is that we've been sold that there's like a certain self that's more acceptable to be Mm. like, like the be yourself is great advice. Like you Mm -hmm. said, it's warm and fuzzy, but be yourself win because uh, it's interesting authenticity i'm i'm working on as you know i'm like playing with this idea for this new book Mm -hmm. and uh, be authentic and be yourself is such common advice we give people for for being on video for being on stage for for you know showing up as a leader Mm -hmm. but the challenge with that is that like to actually be authentic you just have to be really present to how you feel every day and be willing to find ways to reveal yourself that are appropriate mm-hmm. instead of seeking out this like idealized version of yourself. Yes. And I think you're an interesting example of that because there's you're very open about the the companies you started. You had a a tampon company, you had <laughs> a a digital agency that that I, I think you and I have heard you say like really flopped in a way because of the way you were focusing on business. And mm-hmm. for someone who stands on stage and gives advice and teaches and is loved by so many people, it's rare that someone is willing to show up and tell those stories. So did that happen in the moment where you, you know, if someone's listening and they're like, oh, I've had some bad things happen that could be helpful to people, but I'm scared to share it because I don't want them to view me as a loser. I don't want them to view me as someone who didn't know what they were doing. How did you get comfortable with that? Because you're so revealing when you talk about it and I think helpful to people, but I think it's scary. Well, it's interesting. What you were alluding to earlier, this sort of evolution in how we revere and respond to experts having evolved over the last couple of years is is just what used to work just doesn't land the way it used to. I don't know if it got tired or the world changed a little bit or what, but, but so I don't know that it's so much me, you know, having some secret, you know, ballsy babe energy that no one else has. I think it's more just 
to your point, being relevant and in tune with riding the wave of this chapter in history where we are, which is that people don't have the same trust in big government and big institutions and big brands. And um, we aren't looking for this sage on the stage. We really resonate with these guides on the side. And, and I think, you know, when I spent a lot of time on Clubhouse, as you said earlier, and it's just so funny because whenever these, and it's not always demographic, I don't mean to be ageist, but it does tend to be, you know, for the most part, people of a certain demographic and, and, um, and gender or background. And they tend to kind of come up and they do this, like, you know, I made eight figures with this one email hack. And I just think that we're smarter now than that. And, and I just, there's a, there's a part of me that, um, that is paying attention to the people that resonate for me and the people that make me stop my scroll and think differently and pivot my behaviors and change my perception. And those people all have one, in, one thing in common. And that's that they aren't afraid to be human. Now, there is a level of that to your point when you're talking about what's appropriate and what's proper, because as you know, there's also a credibility factor here. I mean, everyone with an iPhone can have an opinion on the internet. And so how do you also distinguish yourself as someone who should who should be taking up space and being listened to? And, and I think that a big piece of that is always be yourself, yes. Tell your stories, yes. Share what you know, yes. Admit what you don't, yes. And I think that as long as you're always sharing experiences that are scars and not wounds, that kind of helps you walk that line a little better. So sharing what you learned from this thing that's at least a scab, if not a scar, something that you've, you've, you went through, but it's healing or it's pretty much healed or it has healed versus <laughs> speaking from a space of the open gaping wound, because then you're just on the same page as your audience and ev- no one has an answer and everyone's looking at you like, oh my God, we're all bleeding, we're all dying, there's no answer. So that's the <laughs> part I think, that's kind of the guide is when I'm sharing my stories and I'm sharing what I know, um, I just always make sure there's a little bit of a scab or, or more preferably a scar in place so that I can offer, maybe it's not the answer, but it was what worked for me. And hopefully that'll trigger something to help you figure out what's going to work for you. Yeah. There seems to be something about the self-indulgence of, I need to share the story because I need to get it off my chest versus Mm -hmm. I need to share, like the litmus that I use with people is, is the identifiable takeaway and insight, has it happened yet? Because if it hasn't happened yet, then this story probably doesn't deserve in front of people yet. It might belong that you should tell the story, that you should go to a storytelling night, that you should do this. But if you don't yet have an insight, whether you say it on stage or not, it it doesn't matter. Is there an insight in the story the audience can pull from besides, oh my gosh, it's really sad that this happened to this person. You know, when I, when I've worked with people who are like, you know, like astronauts or climbed Mount Everest and did these amazing things. One of the challenges they have, we all look at them, I, I think, as speakers, sometimes I look and I say like, oh, my gosh, I wish I had that story. Like, do you know what I could do if I <laughs> yeah. was an astronaut? Yeah. And it's like, all I have is like pe- stories about working at Pizza Hut with my grandma. And like, <laughs> now, I have, <laughs> now I have dad stories, you know? And so I look at that. But one of the things that I've learned, and that was like the beginning of my speaking career, as somebody who coaches people for this what I've learned is that it's really hard for those epic speakers. It's really hard for them mm. because their stuff is so unrelatable that if they just talk about space and being at space, it's like, I don't even know. Like, 
what the heck does that have to do with me? And so they have to work really hard to say, what's the human connection piece here that someone in the audience would say, oh, I get the insight. Because if they say, you know what it's like when you're sitting on the edge of space staring back at Earth? The audience is like, no, I have no clue what that's like. Yeah. so they have to find that. And it's it's interesting that maybe the rest of us with our smaller stories have an easier way to connect with people and to show something, but we have to have lived to the insight. We have to have the like, the reason, and you do this actually, and you teach this so well when you're uh, in, in your main content at the social media spa, you do a really good job of teaching this in Digital Persuasion, your your book, around how to take the personal and make it uh, make it universal. You know, you talk about flipping the focus and even if it's our story, how can we involve them as well? Mm-hmm. And so when you were, so I'm going to ask the cutting, I'm going to ask the hard questions here now. I mean, this is the Oprah moment where we're oh, going to go those in. were the softballs? Okay, got it. <laughs> so the softballs. So you have, a, you have a new book coming out called You're Kind of a Big Deal, Level Up by Unlocking Your Audacity, coming out June 1st, available for pre-order everywhere. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. And last summer, I got to I got a little sneak peek into some bits of it. <laughs> and I remember you looking at some of the places in there and saying, is this story ready to tell? Am I not ready to tell it? Is this mm-hmm. mine to tell? What I haven't I haven't read the final book yet. I ordered my my numerous copies that I can share with folks. But I how did you end up coming out on the other side of that? Where did you end up falling and saying, these are the stories I need to tell? These are the ones that shouldn't go in here. How did you how did you make that decision? Well, I got super clear on who this book is for. And I think that that's the difference in creating stories that are fun to tell and fun to relive when you tell them and they get a laugh um, and they are entertaining or they're shocking or I mean, we can find those all day. But to your point earlier, what is going to pull that insight for the audience that has them stop the scroll or stop reading and have them see a place where in their life they could pull from that and they could they could actually do something different and not just talk about it or think about it or wish for it. So I got really super clear on who my audience was for. And uh, one of them, my avatar, my persona for my audience is one of my best friends, this gal named Ashley Jackson, who I call Sarge because she's 5'1 and she stomps around. She's really bossy. Um, I love it though. Um, And so I just, honestly, I printed out, physically printed out um, at a printer that we don't have in our office that I went to the office store here in town and printed out on real paper. And I just tacked up a huge picture of her behind my computer And when I was writing and sharing my stories, I just kept checking back in with this, uh, my weekend at Bernie's version of Sarge here on the wall and just kind of (laughs) looking at her like, is she rolling her eyes? Is she falling asleep? Is she looking at her phone or is she leaning forward and saying, tell me more? So I just kept regrounding myself on, does this land for the the audience, this this female entrepreneurial network marketing, um, small business entrepreneurial audience? Like, does this matter for them? Because there are stories, and you're so good at this, Mike, is finding the stories we can all relate to, those universal stories from childhood, um, from milestones in life that we all go through. And there are multiple ways to find that through line or that insight, that thread. Um, and some of our stories that you were saying earlier, like, you know, I didn't walk on the moon, but I do have my, I have my B2B in my little world, my moon, my moonwalk moments. And, you know, are those just 
to show off and, and impress people, you know, that I fired a Fortune 100 company in San Francisco because I'm such a badass, blah, blah, blah. Does that just make me beat my chest and sound like a cool person? Or so I think, which is the opposite, by the way, you know, or is it really to, is it to show off or is it to serve? Is it going to actually help someone look in their own life and say, oh my God, that is so me. I mean, there's nothing better. And you know this, you get them all the time in your DMs. When someone messages you and is like, are you at my house right now? I'm so seen. Like, I feel so attacked. Like, this is so me right now. And whenever you get that, you kind of go, yes. Because that that means that you're showing up to do the work that people need and you're serving. You're not just out there being another douchebag on the internet, bragging about your Maserati and your email hack. Because, I mean, the more that people, I think, try to convince with their big stories on Clubhouse. I'm spending so much time down this black hole of this app, but (laughs) there is a major, uh, there's like two groups of people on this app. I mean, there are the people that are still shouting about all their, you know, moonwalk stories and their, and their, their big stories that are, that are impressive and admirable, but I'm kind of like, man, that's not me. I could never do that. And you, and you do, you tune out, you jump out of the room. Um, which is kind of the nice part about Clubhouse, not like in real life when you're stuck in you know the middle of row four and you have to you have to suffer through. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that there's something about um, I think about you know Mike and I, Mike and I, our group in particular on the stage, being that we are traditionally underrepresented groups as keynote speakers on stage yeah. because there are still not a lot of Mike and Aaron's on stage. Um, I think that. Some of us, I mean, not you, but for me, I tend to still fight my knee-jerk habit of trying to overprove myself, mm. of trying to over-establish credibility and beat my chest and do this bravado, masculine keynote speaker energy that I've seen uh, work for like a Daniel Pink or, you know, like these other big speakers. And I think that what's interesting about being authentic and being audacious and being yourself and kind of back to your original question of like how you just show up and not have code switching and multiple versions of yourself that you're presenting to the world. Um, I think you have to trust that you deserve to be somewhere and that people aren't questioning your credibility as much as you are. Mm. And so I think it's really about, and part of my book, this whole, you're kind of a big deal. One of the concepts is unlocking your BDE, which is your big, <laughs> your big deal energy. <laughs> And so the big deal energy is about the fact that like the energy source within you that knows you're a big deal, not in like an asshole, braggy, douchey way, but just the fact that you know you have what it takes, you know you're competent, you know you deserve to be here, you've worked hard, you've put in the reps, you're there to serve, knowing in your heart that you are the big deal already, no matter what happens, by even showing up and having the audacity to step on that stage or show up on that live or send that email or do that presentation or create that podcast or that book or that moment or write that card that you're scared to to that person that you care about, whatever it is, you're already a big deal for having shown up and done it. And when you believe that in your heart first, all the rest follows. You don't have to worry so much about how you're perceived and how everyone's thinking about you and judging you and taking you seriously. Because I'm telling you right now, there is a stat that I came across when I was running my social media agency full-time that stopped me in my tracks. And it was some study where they were, they were, they were tracking how much time we spend on our social media profiles. And the study said that we actually spend the most time on social media staring at our own profiles and our own content contemplating how the world may or may not be perceiving it. Wow. 
So I don't know who is going to admit to that, but this study said that there are the most profile views from the user that owns that profile. And so we're sitting here like, what is everyone thinking? And the reality is, is that they aren't really thinking about you. And you can get bummed out about that and feel small about that. Or you can use it as this like liberating realization, this freedom that when you do release all this wasted energy around your personal brand and your perception, you do bring to the table your best self, obviously your best foot forward, like you would for a job interview or a date. Of course, you don't just show up, you know, in your bathrobe, (laughs) you show up ready to rock, like the big deal that you are. Um, And you, you, you take all that energy that you might waste on what is everyone thinking? Am I credible? Do they believe me? Are they going to interrupt me? Am I prepared? Am I making the impact? How's this going to go? You can take all of that and redistribute it back into where it matters, which is doing the work you're there to do. And so I find it to be super freeing on a lot of levels to just remind yourself of these different, these different truths before you even show up. And it just, it makes it more fun. It makes you more successful. And the most important thing is you're telegraphing those big deal vibes, that big deal energy, and that you are who you are online or offline. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's, it's, there's a, I read a, and read an article, someone who was a younger actor was talking about being cast in a, a film with Meryl Streep and was kind of getting ready for the message that sometimes happens when you're cast with someone like that. You get the message ahead of time of like, Hey, here's the rules. Don't look at them. Don't, don't, uh, don't walk by them. They eat first. Don't do this. Don't ask Ooh. them for advice. And she was saying that none of that happened, that, that she was like, just walked onto set and it was just Meryl Streep was there. And it's that kind of energy of like, I don't need to do any of that because I'm just so confidently here. I don't need to say that I've, you know, sold seven, seven figures yesterday morning in my robe and that, you know, I once graced the stage where Michelle Obama winked at someone. (laughs) Like we don't need to put all of that in there because the rest of it is enough. And it it reminds me of that, of, of big deal energy um, I, I, Meryl Streep has big deal energy. And mm-hmm. I mean, for, for me, Aaron, you have big deal energy because I, I just, I've been a fortunate person to see you as a friend, the way you walk into a hotel, the way you walk into a, a restaurant, you have that all the time and you never need to take it out and swing it at people. Mm. I think your husband does as well. I think Phil has really big deal energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Phil is very, um, and different than you and I. I think you and I are very similar in obviously. a way that, like, yeah, obviously have, you do too. Obviously, yeah, but that was no, a no, given. no. But that I mean, like, we have a lot of public energy. Like, yes. our energy is very directed outwards, and and Phil's energy. Phil's probably more like Meryl Streep, maybe. Yes. Um, which I I'm taking that as the biggest compliment to me because I married someone that I just compared to Meryl Streep. So that's about <laughs> me right now. I'm yes. not using I'm not using the pub method here. I'm Hashtag just worried about myself. Jesus is Meryl Streep. <laughs> <laughs> Meryl Streep somewhere is like, what is this hashtag? But there's something about about um about that that I I do I I see that that that's so much more attractive to people, and it's. I look at, you know, we were talking earlier about this kind of new age, new age leader, the the mm-hmm. who are we following now? Who are we going after now? And it feels like the other, it feels sustainable to me in a way yeah. because that other side of, I just did the biggest book deal. I just did this launch. I just, it's like every single day of your life, you have to be living up to some shark tank moment mm. of, 
of this apex moment all the time. Mm-hmm. And there's something about the way that that you do it and the way that you're you're teaching us to do it in you're kind of a big deal that you can have all of that and it's super sustainable because it's just who you are all the time. Mhm. And it's less exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Because like the, to do big deal things, to create big deal projects, to start a big deal family, to launch a big deal podcast, big deal venture, raise big deal capital, even if you want to go on a big deal diet, I mean, whatever your big deal is right now that you're facing down, that takes a shitload. Oh, can we cuss? Sorry. Yeah. It takes a ton. So classy. It takes a ton of energy and it's, 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 so there's, there's all this, um, all these studies and all these books out right now around energy management, which I am way more interested in than time management because I will be the first one to admit that time management is something that I struggle with very much. Our mutual friend, Neen James, is a time management maven. She has time blocking systems and attention systems, and she always preaches that systems create freedom. I know that you're pretty organized, Mike, with how you run your business. Um, I have several friends, Judy Holler, Amy Landino. They're so organized. They teach organization via these beautiful planners. And they're all just better people than I am. And, and I try. I really do try. And more than time management, I feel that energy management is something that is a superpower for me that is harder to quantify, obviously, because you can't put your energy into like spreadsheets and columns and to-do lists. But I feel like that is really a huge key to accomplishing your big deal aspirations. Because when you're spending so much time, so for so example, small example. So I wear the exact same thing on stage in the old days before everything was virtual. Back in the old days, back in the dark ages, gather around the fire, young ones. Um, but back in the old days, we used to go on stages in big convention centers and coliseums and all this fun stuff. And I would wear the exact same color dress. Now, I have 10 or 12 dresses of various sizes. Like I have the PMS dress, which is two sizes larger, right, for a little bit of like sad, poor me, Ben and Jerry's. Okay. <laughs> I have I have like the um, really been on the program, following my fitness influencer size, which is two sizes smaller. I have my normal size. You know, I have different size dresses. You know, if it's like the pandemic, um, that's like a TBD size that still needs to be purchased. But they're all different sizes, but they're all the same color. And the reason I do that is not because I have this amazing personal brand strategy, but because the color makes me feel powerful. It makes me feel like a big deal. It's bright pink. And I have just removed which for women and men can be a huge energy suck of what am I going to wear to make sure this audience perceives me or likes me or that I telegraph a certain thing or that I look appropriate. Is it too sexy? Is it not sexy enough? Too business, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you go through this whole gamut every time. And I realized I was wasting hours, which sounds ridiculous, but I'm not really a fashionista. As you know, Mike, I'm more of like, you know, jeans and a trucker hat. But like, it was so much energy trying to work on this outfit that I just said, screw it. And the energy management move was find something that you are comfortable with that makes you feel good, that you don't have to think about it. And so you can just show up and do you. And so I don't know what your energy saving, big deal energy saving tactic might be, but I think it's really important to identify one area where you are wasting energy that could be better channeled towards moving the needle on your big deal goal that you really care about that actually matters. And so, um, that's my little teeny hack. And I stole it from obviously the Steve Jobs turtleneck and the Zuckerberg sweatshirt. It's a classic move that a lot of people use. But um, if there's something in, in your life, if you're listening to this, that you could maybe 
automate something that doesn't matter so that you can move that energy to where it does. For me, that has been just a game changer um, in terms of, and it's audacious too, right? Because it's kind of like, she wears the same thing every time. Like I'm sure people are like, I've even been asked, like, what is it? What's the message? What's the big strategy? I'm like, nothing. I don't want to spend time <laughs> worrying about what I'm wearing when I need to be focusing on creating the slide that only comes to you with 60 minutes to show time that happens every time, right? So it's like, you have to focus on what matters. So I think that um, that's one little hack of how to unlock your big deal energy. Well, and I think it's really interesting too, this idea of kind of energy management to get, even cleaner, clearer, uh, more lived in around your your big deal energy. Because it also is really, you know, I was, as you're saying this, I thought, of course, this is like, no one else could say this in this way. You know, like when I think about, when I look at like my favorite speakers and and oddly the people I'm super attracted to for being friends with as well, it's those people that live in that kind of middle of the Venn diagram between being really compelling storytellers, being really brilliant performers, knowing how they need to show up to like serve people and and in that situation, whether it's uh, friends on a boat or whether it's uh, on stage in front of thousands of people. And they're also, the third part of that Venn diagram is they have really original ideas. They have something to say. And when you find someone like that, you start to see all of the clues. And so even as you're saying that, Aaron, I'm seeing that the way that you explain the big deal energy and using your story of that, that only you could say that. Only you could say that. Only you could do it in that way. And I I think like that feels to me like also an energy management thing of like, I'm never going outside of my lane. I'm doing big, audacious things. I'm going bigger. Like you're doing huge events online. You have one of my favorite virtual keynote demos, by the way. It's so brilliant. It's so well done. It's so truthful. You're doing all these big things. You've got a new book coming out. So it's not that living in your big deal energiness to manage your energy is about not growing. It's about like always kind of playing from your center of gravity. And I think that that's... It's the same thing you're saying with this, with with picking an outfit, such a simple idea as that. But there's some truth that's saying, who am I and what am I meant to radiate all the time? And and for me, that's something that you're, uh, whether you're writing about digital persuasion or you're writing about how to unlock your audacity, there's something that's undeniably Aaron about it. And I feel like that's how you become, uh, I mean, I think that's how you globally become a big deal energy that everyone wants to be around, you know? So do you... Do you think that it's easier for you to create because you're so in touch with that? Um, first of all, that is so nice. And thank you for just making my already large head like 17 times larger. Um, <laughs> because I feel the same way about you. Just quick love fest. And I know this is not about us. It's about our audience. But like just for a second, you are the exact same way. There is no one. Like you could, it could literally be. I mean, obviously you have a distinctive voice, but I'm trying to think of a way to explain this. But like if someone showed me a website and, and your picture wasn't on it and I was just reading how you write, I would know it was you. If I, if I walked into a room and, um, and I couldn't see that it was you from behind a screen and someone like, and I, and I could see how the audience was reacting. Like I would know it was you. I mean, you have that same unique brand and, um, Sally Hogshead, who is a mutual uh, NSA member, I just I think that her tagline on her fascination platform is the most dead on true thing I've ever heard in my life. And she always says, it's good to be better, but it's better to be different. Mm -hmm. And she's so right. And it's so good. And 
I mean, from the mic drop moment to, you know, I mean, I could literally create, if I said like, I'm looking for um, a Mike and Nino type of audience, I could explain who your audience is. They love to travel. They love wine. Right. A sense of humor. They love storytelling. They love improv. Um, they're performers. They're passionate. They're outspoken. They're not afraid to put their their stake in the ground. Everyone else be damned. I mean, you have the same thing. And that's why I think we are so attracted to each other as besties is like, because it is rare. And I guess the question is why? Like, why is it so? Why do people feel that they can't? And, and I know there's a lot of reasons we could unpack from childhood. Um, certainly growing up, you know, I don't know how it was. Well, I do know a lot about your childhood, actually, but um, <laughs> actually, I know your whole story. Um, but so when we were growing up, a lot of times um, in my house, especially, I think, um, or for me, we were, you know, achievement equaled affection in my house. Mm-hmm. You know, the points on the board, and, and, and that's true of every kid, like, good job, you, obviously. But I mean, to an extent of like, you know, the, the cleaning the room, the A, the watching my younger sister who's 10 years younger, you know, doing things, you know, not being, um, not rocking the boat if I was promised something that didn't happen. All these like good girl behaviors were rewarded with physical affection. And so I really did develop a little bit of a good girl complex, as shocking as that is. Um, and I think that for a lot of us that grew up in those types of environments, maybe we still have some leftover ghosts of good girls past that does keep us afraid of playing outside the lines. I mean, I know every single time in my childhood, I can remember like three times in my childhood where I really tried to step into my big deal energy. And, and even though it's like, yeah, go girl, be yourself. That is not what the world means. The world is like, no girl, get back in line. Shut up. No one wants to hear it. We don't have time for this. Like enough. I mean, whether it was like, I mean, I grew up, um, I grew up in the Catholic church with like uncles that were really good, genuine, kind priests, not like the scary, disgusting priests that you, you know, hear about that do exist. They were like the good ones. Um, and I remember like asking them like if I could be like an altar uh, server because back then that was like a really big honor before we found out all the like horrible, terrifying, disgusting crimes that happened. Back then it was like an honor. Okay. I didn't know the whole thing. I was a kid. Um, but I remember them being like, well, girls can't do that. And I went to the Monsignor and he was like, absolutely not. And then I remember them being almost like, um, instead of it being encouraging in third grade, like, wow, she's trying to be a part of this church community. It was very much a negative backlash, like a negative response. And then I remember, you know, being in middle school and um, my mom really wanted a certain type of daughter. And I was starting to kind of step into my own and kind of shed some of these good girl layers. And, you know, I started skateboarding and I cut off my hair and I put sun in, in my hair, which as we know, if you're a brunette, that makes your hair bright carrot orange, which is not a slide that I've made yet, but now I'm going to. And, you know, I was listening to like grunge music. I love Nirvana. And I was, you know, I did the nineties grunge kid thing. And my parents were like country club, like where's the pearls and the, and the Sherbert sweater and the golf lessons. Like what happened to our daughter? And I remember my mom used to be like, okay, you know, this week's going to be the new you. And she would try to like force me to be someone, you know, that I wasn't and, you know, all the angsty, you know, middle school stuff. And you just think of these little moments that are stupid, but over time they add up to, I think making it something that, you know, just showing up as who you are and being audacious and being someone like you who shares your opinion online and doesn't give a shit what anyone thinks like you show up big and bold and beautiful and authentic. And I think that it's not some, Oh, Mike has this thing. And Aaron has this thing. Like we don't just have this thing. I mean, we are intentional about it. We work on it. We, we choose to 
take a look and say, look, it's not about being some asshole who doesn't care what anyone thinks about you. Like, oh, I don't care what anyone thinks. That's ridiculous. Anyone who does not care what anyone thinks about them is a narcissistic psychopath who is <laughs> who is just lying. Because if no one cared what anyone thought about you, social media would not be thriving the way it is, first of all. And secondly, when the stakes are the highest and you're at a crossroads and something does matter, it's not that you don't care what people think because we want people who we love to love what we love. Mm-hmm. We want people who we love to love our decisions and love our choices. What it is about, though, is when the stakes are highest and it really, really, really fucking matters, you just have to care more about what you think. That's all it comes down to. And that is really easier said than done. So I think that there's a really a big tendency, like, you know, that meme on social media with the iceberg where it's like what you see is up here. And then below that water is all the hard work and the energy and the perseverance and the crying and the debt and the anxiety attacks and all the things. I think that this is a similar question, which is a long story, long as usual way of answering it. Um is that, you know, it's not like you and I just show up and we're just like this. I mean, we work at it, we read, we dare ourselves, we're intentional, we set goals, we set fear experiments, use our friend Judy Holler's phrase. Um, we manage our energy, we, we think um, about what we're, what we're taking in, what we're consuming, and then we're not just taking it at its word, we're thinking, yeah, but what else? And is that true? And is there another twist? And, and what's your lens on it? And I think anyone can do that. I mean, that is something that anyone can unlock. Everyone has big deal energy. Everyone has audacity. It's just whether or not you choose to have the balls to unlock it. And there you go. That that was the mic drop moment straight from Aaron King. Uh, almost like it was a page ripped out of her brand new book, You're Kind of a Big Deal. Level up by unlocking your audacity. Uh, I've got my copy here. I've got a bunch of copies on order to share with people that that I know need a reminder that they are a big deal. Uh, so if you're uh, if you're looking for that reminder this summer and, and a fun book to read to kind of re inspire you to go chase the world and and be the audacious person you are, then check out Aaron's new book. It's available everywhere books are sold. You're kind of a big deal. You can check her out at AaronKing.com. And I'll be back soon. Thanks for listening. See you later. This episode has ended, but your journey doesn't have to. Head on over to MikeDenino.com. Access all the resources and links that Mike and his guests shared today and keep on crafting your own story. That's MikeDenino.com. Your audience is waiting. Isn't it time to find your hashtag mic drop moment? 